0: Friends, let's open open our Bibles to John chapter sixteen. We're in John sixteen because it's Pentecost Sunday, and we want to hear and learn and discern exactly what it means that the Holy Spirit has come to indwell us and do His work within the world. So, where we are in, Acts, in uh, excuse me, John chapter sixteen is the Upper Room discourse. Jesus has gathered His disciples together. He is hours away from being betrayed and arrested, and so this is his final time to speak to and teach his disciples, and we should take note of the fact that he uses much of this time to talk to us about the Holy Spirit. Who is he, and what does he do? I'm going to read two paragraphs from John 16, beginning in verse 4, halfway through verse 4. Hear God's word. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you, all that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you've given us everything we need to pray now. You've promised that whatever is yours, Father, you've given to the Son. And whatever is the Son's, the Holy Spirit is here in this room, in our hearts, ready and able to take what is Jesus's and make it our own. I pray we would receive it with open hands, open hearts and you would use it to change us for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure every single person in this room has wondered what it would have been like if Jesus hadn't come 2,000 years ago, but waited and actually came to earth today. Have you not all wondered, what if the incarnation took place in the 21st century? And even better than that, what if Jesus wasn't in Jerusalem, but he was in Colombia? He kind of chose this as his kind of ground of operation. What would that be like? I mean, would he attend Columbia Prez? Would he be here? Would he have joined us today? Or would he enter this church with a whip of cords and kick over the welcome table? Like, what would Jesus be doing in Colombia right now? We know he would have a huge social media presence and a slew of hashtags behind him. We know that the press would have a field day with him. The New York Times would call him a glutton and a drunkard. And Fox News would rag on him for his views on immigration. We know we would see a lot about Jesus, but it would be pretty amazing, would it not? What could be better than to have Jesus here doing ministry in Columbia. What could accomplish more? What could see more conversions? What could start new church plants better than if Jesus in the flesh posted up at the state house to preach and to heal and to exercise demons? Can you imagine the impact that would have on our city and our world? So it shocks us to hear what Jesus says to his disciples, who were probably thinking the same thing about Jesus' ongoing earthly ministry that could last for another 30 years in Jerusalem. Verse 7 It is to your advantage that I go away. What on earth could Jesus be talking about? He continues and tells us, If I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. So if I stay here in the flesh, the Holy Spirit is not going to come as he will come, but if I go away, then the Holy Spirit will come and trust me you are going to prefer the Holy Spirit than you are going to prefer me in your midst in the flesh. I saw a book recently that had this subtitle that makes the claim very tightly. The subtitle is, Why the Spirit Inside You is Better Than Jesus Beside You. Why the Spirit Inside You is Better Than Jesus Beside You. This is a massive, massive claim that Jesus is making before he departs. And I feel like in some ways, the whole Christian life is one big test on the advantageous absence of Jesus in the flesh in favor of the spirit present in the world. This is one big test. Is that true? that the Spirit is better than Jesus in the flesh, our Christian lives will bear that out. Now I have a serious question. How many in this room are fans of professional wrestling? How many of you all watch professional wrestling? How many of you know the characters? I see one person, okay? And I'm worried about you for a number of reasons, but here's one of them. I don't want you to get the impression that... There's something going on here where Jesus needs to tag out and the Holy Spirit needs to tag in because only one of them can be in the ring at the same time, right? That's what it sounds like. I got to go so that the Spirit can come because it gets awkward when we're here together, This is not like a metaphysical conundrum within the Trinity in time and space, right? This is not an issue of them both being present together because they've been present together. Jesus, when he began his ministry, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. They were there together at all times. And today, the Holy Spirit is present, but Jesus is also present, although not as he was with the disciples in the flesh. He is with us spiritually, God exists uh, as one God, but in three persons. the, The Son, the Father, and the Spirit are always present with us, so much so that the Spirit can be called the Holy Spirit, or he can be called God's Spirit, or sometimes in Paul he's even called the Spirit of Christ. One God in three persons, eternally present with us. So Jesus is not saying... I've got to leave so the Holy Spirit can come, because only one of us can be here at any given time. What he's saying is exactly what Tim explained to us in our reading this morning. The kingdom of God is unfolding in our Bibles in a series of acts. The Old Testament that prefigured Christ was Act 1. Jesus in the flesh, which included his death and resurrection and exaltation, that was act two in the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, it's time for act three to begin, where I go to my father and sit at his right hand, and the Holy Spirit comes in my stead to minister throughout the world. He's saying, when I leave and the Spirit comes, we turn a chapter in the kingdom and we begin a new and glorious one. It is the age of the Spirit, and the age of the church, the very body of Christ. You and I live in Act 3. And in this chapter of the Spirit in the church, Jesus says in these two paragraphs, there are at least two benefits that, that I want to talk about. One with respect to the world and one with respect to the church. The Spirit is going to do something in the world and the Spirit is going to be do something in the church. This is not all the Spirit will do, but in these two paragraphs, these are the ones that he wants to highlight. So I want to think first about the advantage of having the Holy Spirit ministering to the world. And Jesus says this in verses 8 through 11. In verse 8, he says... The Holy Spirit is coming and he's going to convict or expose the world of her sin, her righteousness, and her judgment. Now here's what's so advantageous about the Holy Spirit doing that. When Jesus came to earth and he gave up the the privilege that he had of being with the Father and present in all places and all times... He took on the limitations of a human body. He truly became a man in the flesh. And one of those limitations that stands out in Jesus is that he could only ever be in one place at one time. Have you ever thought about that with respect to Jesus' ministry? Like he took on this limitation that if he was going to be preaching in Capernaum, he couldn't also be preaching in Jerusalem at the same time. He had to choose which place he was going to be. If he was exercising demons in the Decapolis across the Jordan, he couldn't also be teaching and preaching and healing in Galilee. The incarnation of Jesus was one marvelous display of the beauty and inefficiency of human ministry one to another. We know those limitations well. We have a body, and we can only ever do one thing at one time with one person. That's the beauty and the inefficiency of our human ministry, the side of heaven. Well, now, Jesus is saying, all that has changed. It is to your advantage that I go away, because now, when the Holy Spirit comes, he is going to go throughout all the earth and minister and speak God's word to every single human being. Unlike Jesus in the flesh, the Spirit goes everywhere, to every place and every person. There is now not a single neighbor of yours, friend of yours, co-worker of yours, family member of yours, that the Holy Spirit is not speaking to today. Do you believe that? Do you understand that that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Wherever that person is, wherever they work, wherever they live, wherever they play, whatever they're doing, the Holy Spirit is present with them, speaking to them. You might not be on speaking terms with them, but the Holy Spirit is always and forever on speaking terms with them. Now imagine the beauty of that with respect to ministry. When we talk about outreach, when we talk about evangelism, even when we talk about discipleship, all of us are terrified to speak about Jesus to another person to say something about God in our workplaces or in our neighborhood, to offer somebody who's not a Christian who's suffering to pray with them, to ask penetrating spiritual questions. That makes a lot of us nervous to do, right? We're not comfortable. We don't want to offend somebody. And so we don't take the opportunities that are presented to us. We're sheepish about sharing the gospel with other people. And because of that, we kind of beat ourselves up about that. We're hard on ourselves, we share it regularly with our life groups as a point of a prayer request, and we cringe when somebody preaches on evangelism because we know how far we fall short of doing this. And meanwhile, while we're kind of expending all of that nervous energy, the Holy Spirit is already there. He's already in that relationship, he's already pressing and poking and revealing and exposing and smacking people upside the head and enticing them about the things of God. And he does that in preparation for those glorious moments when you and I, by the courage of God, step into the middle of a conversation that the Holy Spirit is already having with another person, and we speak to them about which they have heard since they've been born from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When we finally broach a spiritual conversation and topic with another person who doesn't know Jesus, if they were perfectly honest with us, which we rarely are with each other, they would say, you know what? That actually sounds kind of familiar. You're telling me there's a God in heaven that cares that my marriage is falling apart? I feel like I've heard that somewhere. And if you were answering, you could say, of course you have. John 16, you live in Act 3. You live in the act in which Jesus in the flesh has gone to be with his Father at his right hand, mediating on your behalf. And one of Jesus' answered prayers is that the Holy Spirit goes into all the earth and he has been speaking these things to your heart, Since you have been born, the things that I tell you will sound familiar to you because the Holy Spirit has already spoken these things to you. If that were not the case, evangelism would be hopeless. You and I are going to learn sooner or later, if we haven't already, that we do not have the power to move one human heart one inch from the left or to the right. We can pray, we can beg, we can shake, we can plead, we can read apologetics, we can stammer through a gospel presentation. We don't have that power. I see that with my kids. I've got the power now when they're young to make them clean up the table after themselves and make them say, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, I have no power when it comes to moving their heart one inch towards Jesus or away from Jesus. But the Holy Spirit does. And he precedes us. He goes before us. And he does that work. And whenever we find the courage to say something, we are joining him in what he is already doing. And Jesus says, I promise you, that is to your advantage. It's a good thing that I'm gone in the flesh, and it's a good thing that the Spirit is here, because for the first time, you have hope in your evangelism when you speak the gospel to the world. That's our advantage, church, to the world but that's not all that the Holy Spirit does because Jesus says he has a ministry with the church as well. He's speaking to our friends within the world, but he also speaks to the church in verses 12 through 15. Look at verse 12. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. Now, all of us would long to sit at the feet of Jesus as the disciples got to do. They spent three years with him. They saw miracles. They heard him teach. They heard his conversations. Oh, to be there and to hang on every word of Jesus, what a treat that would be and yet here's Jesus on the back end of those three years spent with every waking moment with the disciples, and he's essentially saying, look, I tried my best, but I came up short with respect to teaching them. That wasn't Jesus' limitation. That was the disciples' limitation. Apparently, as human beings... We're not designed to drink from the fire hose of Jesus' presence for three years. Like even if we had been there and experienced that, we would not be equipped to turn around and do a life of ministry based on Jesus' presence alone. He says, even if you had done that, I just wasn't able to communicate all the disciples need to know. The good news is that Jesus promises five times in four verses, one of the most important roles of the Holy Spirit is to fill the gap between what Jesus was able to communicate and what you and I need to know as a believer to grow in Christ Jesus. He's going to remind us of these things. He's going to take what Jesus is and he's going to make it Ours, In other words, he is going to work to make us disciples. Now it's great to pause and ask the question, what is a disciple? What is he making? What is he after? What does he want to do? And Jesus gives us kind of a working definition of a disciple. He does this in the Great Commission. We heard this preached on a couple of weeks ago, Matthew 28, 19-20, when he says, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, this is what you're supposed to do. Once you've got them, you've gone, you've found them, they're converted, you've baptized them. This is the crux of discipleship. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So, one working definition of a disciple is a hearer and a doer of Jesus' words. If you hear his words and you do them, you're a disciple. So, that could mean something like getting a copy of a red letter Bible. A red letter Bible is a Bible that has the Bible in black print, but every time Jesus actually said something, that's in red print. And if you get one of those Bibles and you read everything that Jesus literally said in red print and you go and do it, then Jesus says you're a disciple. As daunting as that would be, that's actually not enough because Jesus said the entire Old Testament prefigures me, speaks about me, and tells us how we should live in me. And not a jot or a tittle will pass from the Old Testament. So it's not just the red letters that Jesus said. You also have to grab a hold of the Old Testament. It's not just the Old Testament because Jesus affirmed that the New Testament is now the foundation upon which the church is built because it is the apostolic testimony of the person of Jesus and what he has done. And so, in short, a disciple is a person who reads... Believes, does, leans on everything that is written in this book, the Bible. You take this thousand page book home, you read it, you meditate on it, and you do it, and you are a disciple. When you hear that, do you start to get a panic attack? I do. I start to get one. And I actually think the disciples did too because Jesus says like a gazillion times in the upper room discourse, take it easy. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I think the reason he said that again and again and again is because he was watching his disciples hyperventilate as they began to understand the task that was before them. Jesus is saying to us, I understand this. I made you. I designed you. I know you better than you know yourself. I know your strengths and your weaknesses. I know what gets you out of bed in the morning. I know what freezes you in your tracks with fear. You cannot do anything apart from me. You can't do a thing. And even though I'm telling you that right now, I know you're going to walk out of this room and you're going to try and you're going to fail and you're going to try again and you're going to fail and you're going to try and you're going to fail some more. I want to help you by my Holy Spirit. I want to do things in you. I want you to make you believe I want to make you act and know and do in ways that you in and of yourself did not know what was possible. Christian, let the gift of the Holy Spirit wash over you this morning. God is meeting you in that tender place of where the requirements of discipleship stand and how inadequate you feel. And he's saying, that's the entire reason why the spirit dwells inside of your heart. Because I want to fill that gap and make this thing possible. Let him meet you in that, where you are, and fill the places you feel inadequate. Jesus in the flesh, he went away so that the Holy Spirit could come. And now that he's here, he has fanned out into the entire world, into all unbelievers, and he fills the heart of every single Christian. He's called the Spirit of Truth because he will guide us in all truth. Everything he hears from Jesus, he will make known to us because it is all about his Son, Jesus. If you love Jesus this morning, or even if you like Jesus this morning, that is the power of the Holy Spirit in your heart. If Jesus makes you happy this morning, that's not from you. That's the Holy Spirit inside of your heart. If you really believe this stuff that we're talking about, If you really begin to walk in step with this stuff, if you see any kind of fruit at all in your heart with respect to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, if you have ever found help in time of need, if you ever found yourself able to pray prayers, you didn't know you had the words to pray, if you have ever found courage and strength, you didn't know you had, all of that is God's gift to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. He fills us in all fullness he gives us what is God's and the Son's and he leads us towards Christ everlasting. Let's pray together. What a gift, Heavenly Father. I know that we look at our Christian lives and we see that the glass is half empty or 99% empty because we see our sin and our faults and how far we have to go to the perfect righteousness of your Son. But this morning, I pray that we would pause and see your Holy Spirit really is in our hearts. And he really does give us good desires. And he really does speak true things. And sometimes we hear the word of the thief and the Holy Spirit intervenes and gives us the word of the shepherd, you who calls us out by name. And we follow because your spirit is inside of us. Change us, fill us, refresh us, restore us. By your very hand we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.